politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, our property. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today, your guide in this fight, because this is an ongoing battle. Every day, we have a continuity of observations, a continuity of agenda items, action items, plans, strategery. Uh, This is not a matter of just a day-to-day talking point show. Ooh, look at that great talking point. The Democrats have record inflation, crime, illegal immigration, all this stuff going on. Vote Republican. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you want me to do that? No, I'm sure you don't. And that's why you tune here every day. Very loyal audience. And again, you could always subscribe on iTunes. You could find me on... uh, not Twitter anymore, but on Getter, Daniel underscore Hurwitz. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I do have a little bit of a cold today from my two-year-old who was breathing all over me the last few nights, demanded I sleep with her on, on her little mattress. <laughs> so I'm a little bit under the weather. But folks, when you look at the inflation crisis, I can't sit and talk about it and ignore how we got here as if it didn't happen. This is what Republicans do. Oh, my gosh, look at the illegal immigration. They caused it for the last 20 years. Oh, my gosh, look at the crime. You guys joined with it. I was literally the only one who opposed criminal justice deform and the de-incarceration agenda. Mind you, I bet in a year from now, they'll be like, oh, my gosh, look at all these young people that are dying suddenly. Yeah, you join with that. Each and everything. So we're going to unpack this. We're going to unpack both, you know, the COVID inflation, Ukraine, which is another inflationary driven thing, not just from the spending, but also the supply chain issues that we're inducing by perpetuating this this fake war. We're going to have Jordan Schachtel, our foreign policy correspondent. Uh, It's been a long time since we've had him on the show. We'll have him today. First, our sponsor. I don't even need to do this ad. Because you know it already. With inflation the way it is, and with the American economy going to hell and back, now is the time to invest in gold with Birch Gold. Uh, The reality is gold is something that has always been a hedge against inflation. And you want a reputable company to help you do that. The the thing about Birch Gold is they help you convert an IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered account in gold and silver. So for years, I always liked owing money at the end of the tax return, so that way I could parse it out in a way that I don't have to give it back to them and put it into either a health savings account or an IRA. So where did I put it? I would put it into the stock market casino, and we're seeing how that's working out now. So if you want to get started by actually putting it into something that will be worth uh, anything as time goes on, text Daniel to 989898 to get your free info, no no obligation info kit with Birch Gold telling you how to convert that account you have, 401k, IRA, into gold and silver. Uh, again, Birch Gold has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and they could help you protect your savings today. So text Daniel to 989898. 
So you you have to understand that if you didn't get a raise since like mid June, mid June, I'd say, well, no, mid twenty twenty, so about about June twenty twenty, you're actually earning fourteen point seven percent less than you were before. Inflation-adjusted earnings have been negative basically almost every month of the Biden presidency. Um, I believe it is down 16 consecutive months, which is an all-time record. Okay, so all this, you know, stuff that they throw you, and, and I've said this for years, Republicans focused on the, on the tax issue, which is stupid, because most people nowadays, because of the Reagan and Bush and Trump tax cuts, they don't pay that much in federal income taxes. A couple of states are high-tax states, but if you're not in those, you really don't pay that much for most people. Some people do, but here's where you're paying it, in inflation. But the problem is, this did not begin with Biden. There's one 800-pound gorilla in the room. And that is, if you go to COVID spending tracker online, you will see that between Congress and the Federal Reserve, we've pissed away $10.7 trillion in the response to COVID. Okay. That is something that every Republican, except for Thomas Massey and a few others, joined in on. And to this day, they won't apologize for it. To this day, that is what destroyed us, not just in the dollar amount, which certainly was, but paying people not to work. So shutting down the economy, but throwing money at businesses, the stupid PPP, and individuals. So it's the worst Combination because what is inflation at its core? Inflation is throwing more money at an economy than an economy could produce naturally. So you shut down the production, but chucked a bunch of money at them. Then you shut down the supply chains. So that created more scarcity, which is more like artificial inflation, but it does contribute to it. And then we still have endless funding going to hospitals, to Pfizer. Then we have the next iterations that are going to continue disrupting us. In other words, the last couple of days we've been doing shows on COVID's not over with. COVID fascism is not over with. And we're doing it more from a <clears throat> liberty standpoint, a health care standpoint, a right to life standpoint, survival, democide, genocide. But it's the same thing from an economic inflationary standpoint. The same thing that's causing the genocide caused the economic collapse. It all gets back to COVID. And in, in those critical 15 days, <clears throat> in the latter half of March 2020, we should have been saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is going on here? Where did COVID come from? Who's behind it? And, and if we would have asked those questions, we would have been understood, how do you treat it? And we would have realized you just treat everyone. And again, at that time with the original strain, low-dose ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine would have ended the entire thing and we would have been done with it. Instead, we underwrote a lockdown. We underwrote warp speed. We underwrote endless dependency, paying people not to work, stimulating a dead body. Some of us knew this from day one. 
And yet these same Republicans have the nerve to just latch onto a talking point. It's always a talking point. Never about where did this outcome come from, where is it headed, and what do we need to do to solve it. Same thing with illegal immigration. They caused it. They joined with the Democrats for years. And now the only thing that's going to solve it is state deportations. Republicans won't endorse that, except for very few people. Same thing with crime. Oh, fund the police. That's not the issue now. You need to lock up the violent criminals. I have a column on that out today. Where you have voters in L.A. and San Francisco that are now to the right of where Republican elites are on criminal justice. It's every issue is like this. It's nauseating watching Republicans talk about inflation today. They caused it. I want to read to you from, here it is, March 25th, 2020. From yours truly, I had a column. And I said, these people want an economic and liberty nuclear winter. And they want it indefinitely without investigating any of the science and data behind it. <laughs> this is me in March 25th, 2020. At the same time, they want to spend trillions upon trillions of dollars stimulating a dead body with nothing to stimulate. And don't appear to see any downside to accruing all this debt and risking market distortions. So if that's the case, why not just give every American a year's worth of income? The title of my article, by the way, is If Money from the Feds is Free, Why Not Give Everyone $100,000? That was the point I was trying to make. And obviously the answer is, well, you're going to create a bunch of inflation. So my point was, well, okay, so if you give people $10,000 or whatever it was over time they gave people, you're going to create the same problem. Like all kabuki theater in Washington where Republicans agree with Democrats on 99% of an issue but fight truculently over the last 1%, both parties shook hands, I mean elbow bumped, get the joke there, on a $2 trillion stimulus today plus $4 trillion in Federal Reserve shenanigans. The bill indiscriminately throws too much money in a black hole without better defining and studying the scope of the problem to come up with a better solution. It solves nothing, bankrupts our nation forever, and still brilliantly manages to leave many people behind at the same time. And then I quoted Mitch McConnell. In effect, this is a wartime level of investment into our nation. The men and women of the greatest country on earth are going to defeat this coronavirus and reclaim our future. The Senate's going to make sure that they have the ammunition they need to do it. And then I cut in. The problem is that this is not an investment at all. There is nothing to invest in <coughs> or stimulate with both parties pushing an indefinite lockdown. <coughs> so that's the story. That's the story there. And you can read the whole thing. <coughs> You know, and some of it is obviously not with the full knowledge of everything we wound up knowing later on. Because I do make the point there, at least let people go out with masks. Remember, that was before the mask mandates. <clears throat> so that's when that was viewed as kind of a way out of the lockdowns. But uh, obviously, immediately when it started, I opposed it. I talked about Boeing getting a $17 billion carve out. And, um, you know, just throwing money at, at, at all sorts of people. 
indiscriminately mails out checks as high as three, 4,000 for families under 150,000 of income who have not lost a penny and are still working. Meaning the point is at the time they made it income-based rather than situational-based. So you had a bunch of people and look, yours truly, I, I benefited from I said it at the time. I didn't lose any income, okay? But I was under the income threshold because I'm not a grifter and I don't earn, earn a lot of money doing what I do. So, um, you know, I got a ton of money. I have four kids. Whereas you, you could have someone that, a small business owner that was just above the threshold and he got crushed, his business was destroyed. His livelihood was destroyed. But if your last tax return, you were above that threshold, you got nothing. And that's what we did. And that catalyzed a series of bills, but not just a series of bills, but a series of reactions that ground our country to a halt. Republicans viciously supported that. Trump viciously attacked Thomas Massey for requiring a roll call vote, and to this day, they they broke the House chamber rules to shut him down, so to this day, there is no recorded vote on the worst piece of legislation in American history. So again, once again, I'm the only one who's going to give you the perspective on inflation that matters, what actually caused it. And it's not just to look in the past, which is important because these same Republicans are going to be the leadership members on this great victory that we're looking forward to, but that this is going to continue happening and is still happening. We're shutting down our military. We're shutting down jobs and people losing jobs over the mandates. The same science that we knew was wrong March 25th, they're still adhering to it. And they're going to do it with the next thing. You know, that's the story with that. But I always give you a 2020 vision, which is why I recommend Rodenstock Eyewear from Better Spectacles, America's only conservative American company selling eyewear. Um, what is Rodenstock? Well, their scientists use biometric research to measure the eye in over 7,000 points. They've taken the findings from over 1 million patients. They combine it with artificial intelligence, except in this case, they actually produce, unlike Pfizer, a good product, biometric intelligence glasses, which gives you a seamlessly natural experience that works p perfectly with your brain, gives you the sharpest vision at all distances. I'll tell you, my wife and I are never getting anything else but better spectacles. If you want what we have, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So you don't even have to go out and you know find an appointment and wear a stupid mask, which most of them still are requiring. Schedule a teleoptical appointment today with them and then go big with biometrical intelligence glasses. You get an introductory 61% off their progressive eyewear plus free Rodenstock handcrafted frames. Great eyeglasses, great frames that will change your vision change your lives because you can't function without proper vision. So go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative today. Again, folks, I don't mean to be the, the party pooper as I always am, but I can get on the bandwagon. Oh, look at the Democrats. Look what the Democrats did. Ha ha ha. But Republicans did the same thing. And then you look at Donald freaking Trump. This is from business insider. He, he recently did a rally in, um, Australia Former President Donald Trump avoided using the word vaccine while talking about COVID-19 at a rally in Anchorage. We did so much in terms of therapeutics and a word that I'm not allowed to mention. 
but I'm still proud of that word because we did that in nine months and it was supposed to take five years to 12 years. Nobody else could have done it, but I'm not mentioning it in front of my people. In other words, it's the exact opposite of me. We can't mention vaccine because we mention it disparagingly and we'll get censored by the left. He supports the left, but he doesn't want to get you know, yelled at by the right. So he's like, I don't want to mention to this day, this piece of garbage won't learn his lesson. Trump can go straight to hell. And I don't care if you turn it off and get insulted. Goodbye. I don't care if I lose listeners. I'm sorry. We gave him enough grace. He's had enough months to recant his story. Still promoting it. It's disgusting. Disgusting. I could go through story after story in the UK. This is from the Daily Skeptic. Every ambulance trust in England goes on black alert as ambulances queue for hours at hospitals to hand over patients, but it's not for COVID. Okay? Well, what the heck do you think it is if it's not COVID? This is happening everywhere. Everywhere. And yet no one's trying to figure out what's going on. You know, a bunch of corporations are getting together. They're warning that cardiomyopathy is going to crush us. Analysts of global data crunched numbers and found by 2031, cases of cardiomyopathy will balloon to 7 million around the world. How do they know that? How do they know that? Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Dr. Claire Craig of the Heart Organization over in the UK. She notes that women over 80 years old are the only age group that doesn't have substantial excess mortality in the first half of 2022. How is that? And again, that's just because those are the ones who live the longest. So, you know, um, that's that's when their life expectancy is. So they're expected to die. Um, so you're going to see the least excess death in that group. But everywhere you go on down, the younger people just skyrocketing excess deaths. Skyrocketing for younger people. Very young people. It's disgusting. Everyone knows this is happening now. Everyone knows this is happening. In the UK, ambulance calls rose from February 2021 and have stayed high since then. February 2021. Think of that date. COVID did not move the marker. Okay? It started February 2021. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the meaning of that. And Trump is sitting and pimping the shots. Then you have this from uh, <clears throat> Trial Site News. Pfizer's sensitive document reveals alarming facts about trial subjects. This is from Sonia Elijah at Trial Site News. She's going through the documents. There's a 3,611-page document entitled C459-1001. FA interim narrative sensitive. 
It contains pertinent information on hundreds of Pfizer's clinical trial subjects who, whether due to death, serious adverse events, pregnancy, COVID-19, or just no longer meeting eligible criteria, were withdrawn from the trial. The document also includes revealing narrative comments for subjects in both the placebo group and those administered either a single or double dose. And um, there's basically, she goes through like three different death subjects and screenshotted what was going on there, fetal cardiac arrest. The narrative comment reads, in the opinion of the investigator, he's the trial investigator, there was no reasonable possibility that the cardiac arrest was related to the study intervention of clinical trial procedures. Unbelievable. Everyone will tell you that in a clinical trial, when the subjects die, right away that's a red flag. Right away it's guilty until proven innocent. Because that's how it has to be to establish the safety of a product. And here they did the opposite. It was unknown if an autopsy was, was performed, they write. They never performed autopsies. It's one of the most forgotten aspects of this. Why to this day do we not have autopsies? And I think we know why. I think we know know why. So, um, basically every time there was a severe adverse event or a death, they just said, they either kicked them out of the trial, or they said, oh, it's not due to it. But they never established through an autopsy what did kill them. Then, there was another interesting thing. <clears throat> there was a case of a serious adverse event for subject number 11421247, a 71-year-old female who developed severe ventricular uh, arrhythmias, so, you know, heartbeat problems, irregularities in heartbeats, the very same evening she received the second dose of the magic uh, juice on October 14th, 2020. The, the, in this case, the trial investigator did say there was reasonable possibility that the ventricular arrhythmia was related to the study intervention, a.k.a. the vaccine. However, according to Pfizer, there was not enough evidence to establish causal relationship. Pfizer did not concur with the investigator's causality assessment, it says in the comment. <laughs> so, 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 so this is what it was. So now we know from the secret documents, and, and again, this should be top news, but Republicans will never make a big deal of it, so it won't go anywhere. You have to find it at a place like Trial Site where no, nobody follows a subscription site. They do great work. <clears throat> but basically, we now know there were hundreds upon hundreds of severe adverse events, and there were some deaths too. And Pfizer's rule was, unless you could prove to me categorically that it was, even if it was the same day, that it was from the vaccine, it, it, it wasn't from the vaccine. Literally flipping the Nuremberg Code on its head, the Helsinki Accords, any, any, any bioethics. And mind you, they wouldn't pay for an autopsy. So obviously you could never conclusively prove but if you don't do an autopsy, you can't com conclusively prove it. 
Well, that was the whole point with Maddie DeGarry. You had a 12-year-old healthy girl that within the same day gets a severe form of paralysis throughout the, the, the body and develops this terrible nerve, nerve disease. Okay, you know it's from the thing. But in a scientific, you know, way, could you say, could you prove it's from it? Well, without certain, you know, diagnostics, you can't. So if they refuse to do it, well, prove I'm wrong. And Trump still is blessing this democide. You tell me how we could support him. This is the point. They won't even admit they're wrong. The establishment and the Trump establishment too. I don't understand how anyone who understands what's going on in the world could support this man for president. And mind you, I don't even care about the presidential election. We'll be dead by then. Could you imagine if Trump would go around right now being a voice for the vaccine injured, saying, look, they duped me. You know, I figured I'd fund it quickly. And, th- and that's fine. I don't blame him for, for, for not realizing that they were developing this for 20 years as a bioweapon. I don't blame him for that. But that he will double and triple down on it. I did the best lockdowns. I saved millions of lives. And we're supposed to forget about that? And the same clown is going to talk about Oh, things were so great, and look at all the inflation. Yeah, because that was the end of your presidency. But it took some time for it to have an, have an effect. But he supported all of the bills and policies that blew it up. Yes, Biden made things worse, obviously spent even more money, shut down our, our oil and gas. Obviously, we all agree to that. But the meat and potatoes of it began in his presidency. Truly, truly unbelievable. But I want to get to our special guest today um, because there's a lot more to talk about, both with really the two big things that Republicans are bought into, COVID fascism and Ukraine. So many of you are new listeners and we're so thankful for the growth. But there are a number of you that remember back in the day, we used to have something called Foreign Policy Friday. And we bring on our foreign policy correspondent, Jordan Schachtel, investigative journalist, and we kind of go over the world, you know, from a foreign policy perspective. But then over time, you know, after the revolution of March 2020, I couldn't care about foreign policy anymore because who does? How could you care about foreign policy prerogatives when the problem is here at home with our own government? And our guest, Jordan himself, feels the same way, even though most of his career he spent focusing on foreign policy. Except now we kind of need to focus on one aspect of it from the same perspective of the malignant domestic policy, which is Ukraine. It shouldn't be important. It should have, there should have been a settlement a long time ago. And in fact, if you really understand the history, this whole thing wouldn't have gotten off the ground if we wouldn't have been poking Russia but evincing weakness at the same time, which is what NATO was doing. So it was like invited it. But... Now that's part of the problem. The same Republicans that are yelping about inflation today, almost every one of them not only supported it, but felt that Biden didn't do enough and voted for $50 billion. That's going to become a sinkhole for more stuff. It's not just the money. It's creating all the supply chain problems, with, which uh, aggravates the inflation. It's depleting our weaponry. So what is going on there? It's awfully quiet. It's funny that first week or two, oh, look, the Ukrainians are winning. 
And then we don't hear about it, other than every day we spend more money on them. So what is going on there? We talked about the medical-industrial complex a little bit that Trump has bought into. But there's the military-industrial complex. Those are probably the two worst things we're dealing with. So with us today is none other than Jordan Shaktel. Um, Let me tell you guys, if you're not subscribing to his Substack, you're missing out. The dossier with Jordan Shaktel, all unique investigative journalism, goes through a lot of the corruption of military-industrial complex, the corruption of Big Pharma, very, very important. You could follow him on Twitter at Jordan Shaktel. I still don't get how he's there, but he is with us in the flesh today. Jordan, it's been way too long. Welcome back to see our podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Daniel. Appreciate it. All righty. So let's start out with Ukraine. What is really going on there on the ground today? We are given the impression that the Ukrainians are just beating the Russians back, and we just need to give them a couple more goodies and gizmos. Yeah, that seems to be the constant prevailing narrative from the corporate press, but the reality that I'm analyzing is is very different. In fact, it seems that the Ukrainian military, so there's kind of two ends of this this bargain that the U.S. has negotiated amongst themselves, and there's the money side and then the military side. And in my view, neither is going particularly well. Um, the U.S. has and allies, but largely just the United States, has allocated uh, almost $100 billion towards this effort. We don't know if really any of this money is going to support the war effort or what exactly is going on. You know, they passed that that uh, the $40 billion bill famously with basically zero oversight mechanisms. So it's just like a giant slush fund. Um, maybe Raytheon, Lockheed, their, their, uh, their board is, is definitely happy about it. But, but in terms of supporting the war effort, it has been very unsuccessful. So Ukraine is now demanding um, $750 billion over a 10-year time period. It's like it's like a one of those like nightmare sports contracts for for an athlete that that gets hurt the, the first season of a ten year deal is basically what they're they're asking for. Um, it, it's a mess, and and the, the Ukrainian military hasn't gained any ground against Russia um, at all, basically in in recent months. And in fact, Russia is slowly um, pulling apart and gaining territory in the country's east where all of the valuable resources and commodities lie. Um, so uh, on the military front, they're, they're slowly losing, even though they're being backed by a significant amount of arms and aid. And on the economic front, the, the money is, is disappearing. Uh, it's seemingly at, at a rate of like a billion dollars a day. No one knows where the money's going. Ukraine's demanding more money. Our, our Congress is happy to give them all the money in the world. Uh, or at least allocate money towards Ukraine. Nothing really seems to be adding up, but but certainly militarily speaking on the ground, uh, Ukraine is not winning, and it seems to be a very demoralized campaign at this point. So on the one hand, you'd think, all right, $50 billion, you're saying if you add up everything, it could be $100 billion. That's a lot of money, but not so much compared to what we spend nowadays. It's sunk... Republicans will learn their lesson, they take over Congress, and it will all stop. But in fact, we haven't seen more than 5 10% of them uh, regret it. And 
it's more than that. It's not over because now we're knee deep. I mean, historically, that is a declaration of war by a factor of 100, right? I mean, when you spend 50 billion against an adversary, you, you, you are now sucked into war with them and on the losing side too. So now you have the NATO issues where they're poking them even more and they're going to admit Sweden and Finland into NATO. And it seems like most of the Republicans, certainly the ones on the armed services and uh, foreign affairs committees in both houses are all in support of that, right? So isn't this going to become a new Afghanistan? Yeah, and as you as you mentioned... This idea that we can continue like throwing money and weapons at Ukraine and not worry about anything else—it just seems like that our our nation's lawmakers are are drunk with hubris. They're putting America in an increasingly dangerous situation to continue to stockpile this Ukraine slush fund. Um, Yet the the idea that just uh, electing Republicans who uh, who are you know flying to Ukraine, uh, Kiev, every other day to do photo ops with Zelensky. You're right. We have a much bigger problem on our hands. It, it's this. It, we have a dysfunctional uniparty in D.C. that views foreign policy very different than the average American. There, there's, there was a recent poll that came out last week, um, a monument poll that showed that uh, fewer than one percent of Americans think of Ukraine as, as the, the most important issue going on in America. Yet, if you were if you tune into C-SPAN or, or, or watch these legislators on social media, this is the issue that takes up all of their their time, their their meetings with lobbyists. I mean, just the, the total detachment. We need, we need to solve that problem and, and get them to prioritize uh, anything that can actually help the American taxpayer. Instead, they're sending all the taxpayers' future wealth. Um, I don't know if it's going to Ukraine. It's definitely going to the defense industry. Uh, It just seems that it's another seemingly like similar to the COVID mania, so-called emergency. All these trillions of dollars are printed, and it ends up in the hands miraculously of all of these <laughs> lawmakers friends and lobbyists it, it just it's just a total mess and, and the situation in ukraine to me it's just like the next national emergency and, and again this sense similar to covid where we printed trillions and they said oh you know it's an emergency we need to do it there's just no sense of of, of protecting the future whatsoever you know, I want, I want to transition back to COVID, obviously, and you are one of the ones from day one, literally day one, that got it, got it totally. Very few people who uh, didn't. But I found fascinating that you shared my sentiment, how even though you poured most of the beginning of your career into foreign policy, you just couldn't really care about much of it anymore, given what was going on here at home. Yeah, it, it's um, it really allows us to reflect on you know the, the post nine eleven foreign policy, and and I think that it's very important in this day and age not to be, not to still have that reflexive hyper interventionist mentality 
um, because there are a lot of ways in which you know the corporate press and lawmakers will try to bait people into um, these these monetary supporting these slush funds and getting people all outraged. Uh, and you're right; it does seem a lot like Afghanistan. If you listen to lawmakers, they're always talking about, "Oh, Russia's bombing." women and children, civilian casualties. We need to send money now. We need to send our weapons now. It's just the same playbook. But if you know the playbook, I think you're less susceptible to getting, to buying into it again. And, and I, I think that some of our friends on the right have not <laughs> uh, learned any lessons from our adventure in Afghanistan and Iraq and throughout Africa and, and overthrowing the Libyan government. Um, one of the lessons I think that all of us can learn about foreign policy is that you know, America, first of all, is in very dire uh, societal and economic straits. So the idea that we can continue to play world police is totally delusional. But also, you know, these are ill-advised ideas as well. Um, so on, on the COVID front, obviously, one of the reasons we can't get excited about foreign policy is because our own government is no longer a force for good. Our own government, I, you know, I always say I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, but you certainly remember 9-11. And, you know, after that, one of the things we were concerned with is bioterrorism. And now we are suffering from a degree of bioterrorism that I could have never imagined bin Laden succeeding in, having the wherewithal to do, yet our own government is doing it. Discuss the state of play with the big pharma heist, what they're doing, because I could have never thought of a brilliant thing like this where you create a product, and let's just forget about all the people it kills and damages, but just the viral immune escape, how the more you inject, the more you infect. So it create it constantly creates a need for itself, and then they could say, yeah, you dumb idiot. What's with the three shots only? Time for the fourth, baby. And not only don't they get punished for the failure, but they actually get rewarded. Yeah, I think what um, a lot of people have been following that, that Theranos trial um, with, with Elizabeth Holmes, who you know, infamously sold a, a vaporware product, a blood testing product that didn't work. And she was taken down. Because she was unsuccessfully, uh, she was not able to co-opt the government into becoming the salesperson for her company. I think the lesson that Pfizer and Moderna learned was that if you get the government in bed with your corruption, you can continue to sell products uh, forever. And in this case, it was it's a hundred times worse than Theranos because uh, the U.S. government is is paying tens of billions of dollars to these companies. Uh, through taxpayer funds. And it's just, um, I, I obviously share your sentiment on the product entirely. Uh, not only is it a junk product, but there's the potential for um, adverse side effects too. So it's not just like that you're eating, um, a it's not like D eating or something. Junk. Yeah, it's not like you're eating junk food. It, it, it's much higher risk and um, the, the, the pharmaceutical mafia, I was looking at the financials and I've been reporting on it in the dossier. It is unbelievable how much money they're making. I mean, Pfizer has increased its revenue 2x in, in the two years um, of COVID. So in, in 2021, they made twice as much as they did in 2020. 
This is both profit and revenue. And in 2022, they're expected to make twice as much in profit and revenue as they did in 2021. And on these numbers we're talking about, we're talking about $10 billion in income per quarter. I mean, that's more than Exxon Mobil, right? Yeah, I was I was about just about to. So so at least these 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 so-called fossil fuel companies are providing a tremendous service. So I think that the the income that they generate is it's worth talking about their margins or whatever. But but they're selling a legitimate product. I mean, Pfizer is is through a corrupt enterprise making an absolute fortune. And a lot of people didn't see this in the past couple of weeks. They um, they signed a new vaccine deal with the Biden administration. I don't even want to call it a vaccine for obvious reasons, but they call it a vaccine deal. Uh, Nine billion dollars. And they're actually charging the Biden administration, a.k.a. the American taxpayer, over 50 percent more for these shots. So now instead of paying twenty dollars a dose, the taxpayer is paying $30 a dose per product, and we already know that the margins are incredible. It is absolute highway robbery. Um, if we lived in a just country, I, I think that these executives would already have been fleeing to South America because of <laughs> the, the crimes against humanity that they've committed um, against the American people. Yeah, and it's your fault, by the way. You put that out, and I responded to it, and I got canned, and you didn't. But your your day is coming soon, let me tell you. But uh, that's why people need to find you in your Substack. Uh, your latest article, I want to I want to go over your latest piece. <clears throat> One of the things that we find very disturbing is that this pharma thing, it's the worst policy that we're up against, okay? You know, I mean, Jordan, you remember me in the day, crime, illegal immigration, I had my issues. Like, this is, there's nothing more important than this. This is literally right to life. Um, It's unbelievable. And yet, when it comes to this issue, we have no opposition. Both sides are the same thing. And the more you find the Trump administration was full of these people that were in bed with all of this, talk about what you found about the Surgeon General under under the Trump administration. Yeah, so I, I just reported this uh, yesterday in the dossier. I had heard rumors that Jerome Adams, the former Surgeon General, who was basically, he's like Mike Pence's uh, public health apprentice. Jeez. He was the chief public health officer in Indiana. So anyway, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that Trump is free of sin here, um, but he was... Pence brought him from obscurity as some state bureaucrat into the White House as a Surgeon General. Um, and now Jerome Adams, uh, in his post-Surgeon General life, he likes to, uh, if you see him on Twitter, he's always virtue signaling about how we need lockdowns, masks. Uh, he's like equally uh, on par with, with the likes of like Dr. Redfield, the former CDC director, or Burks. You know, like these disgusting figures that are that are just this lethal combination of, of dumb and authoritarian. But uh, Jerome Adams is now uh, joining all of these pharmaceutical boards involving COVID testing, antivirals. And he's also uh, made a name for himself in the health equity space, this, this diverse diversity, equity, inclusion in healthcare. So he joined Purdue University, Indiana State Funded, probably um, thanks to Pence. And he is now the like chief health equity person, the first of its kind job at Purdue. So 
So they created a position for him to uh, make more money. And now he, he's also involved in this like LGBTQ whatever thing. So he's joined the board <laughs> of an organization that is providing health access to the, you know, the rainbow flag people. So he's doing that. He's involved in, in, in a miraculous amount of grifts. I think he's on, last time I counted, he's on like at least half a dozen pharmaceutical boards trying to get the FDA to clear their garbage uh, <laughs> COVID-related product. Um, and it's not just Jerome Adams that is doing this. It's basically every member of, of the, the Trump coronavirus task force who has left the government is involved in this enormous grift. And, and that's the important thing here. It's not just, OK, these were career people there or whatever from previous administrations. I mean, some were there, too. But a guy like Jerome, Jerome Adams, this was Republican administrations in Indiana. And it's emblematic of the fact that you have this in every state except for the DeSantis administration. These Republican governors, they're full of it. It's not just like a kind of a paper pusher in one of the agencies, but the lead guys that, that advise them, that they appoint, they're literally indistinguishable from the people the Democrats do, not just on, on the health care issue, certainly on that, pharma, but like you mentioned, on, on the rainbow stuff, on the critical race theory. Jerome Adams is always you know, you know, promoting stuff on critical race theory. This is what we have, and it's like— I don't get what I'm supposed to tell people when they're like, Republicans are going to crush Democrats in the midterms. Yeah, with what? The same garbage we've been dealing with, um, you know, with the exception of like one or two people here or there that break through in a primary. I don't know. I just don't know what we're going to do to change the game here. It, it seems that the only thing that um, potentially Republicans will be better on is literally not seeking the destruction of our energy sector. So I guess on that very low standard, if you really would like to even sell out for Republicans, it's basically entirely based on the idea that they will destroy the country a little bit slower than the Democrats will. But it's not true, and he, here's why. Um, here, here's where I want people to hear about that. You make a good point. Let's take energy. Well, okay, they won't shut it down on their own, but Biden will. Okay, how are you going to stop him? Budget fight. We can't shut the government down, right? They made that very, very clear that will never, ever, ever, ever happen. So ultimately, they're always going to vote for his budget, and they're going to lose their leverage. And ditto for the NDAA, which they're doing right now. They're going to pass the NDAA, which is kicking our troops out of the military. No problem with that. Um, you mentioned you know, that it will go a little bit slower, but not really, because it's not legislation that does it. It's the new current thing. And the new current thing is implemented executively because of media clamor, whatever it will be. And it takes active opposition to stop it. See, that's what people need to understand. The old paradigm was Republicans were a little bit slower. Now it's, it's not even that because legislative bodies are meaningless unless you affirmatively take steps to ban things, block funding, whatever, and they'll never do it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, our colleagues are going to continue grifting. They'll have great commentary, great content. It'll, it's a great time to be alive if you're a Republican commentator. No question about that. Um, man, where, 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 
how do we break this monopoly if you look at the media, the medical industrial complex and the military industrial complex? Aren't those really the two juggernauts? Yeah, for sure. And, and, I, and I think that you bring up a, a very salient point about the reality of Republicans not being able to accomplish anything because they're unwilling to you know, stand up on these budget fights. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, if you're if you're electing Republicans, uh, doing it while keeping the likes of Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell in charge, I think it, it's just a totally lost cause. That, that should be uh, highly prioritized and not just replacing Mitch McConnell with his deputy <laughs> or Kevin McCarthy with with what's her name. I don't even, you know, I despise these politicians. At least the fanatic, you know. Yeah. And at some point, you got to look at the big man, too, you know, which is Trump. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point, he's got to be made to answer, right? You know, at some point, he could could say, look, it was a mistake, and and we all understand that. I I never would have seen this coming. That's fine. But to double and triple down on this now, um, you know, that – that that's ridiculous. I mean, we're never going to grow from there. And look, Mike Pence, I'm just telling you right now, I would vote for Joe Biden over him. That man foisted <laughs> COVID fascism upon us, and, and we can never, ever forget that. Never. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, but but your friend uh, Lockdown Larry said, uh, I think it was today or yesterday, he claimed that a lot of people are, want him to run for president. <laughs> Well, I, I don't doubt in the industry is a lot of people too, but uh, um, he wouldn't even win Maryland in the primary. Um, but you know, again, I'm not I'm not worried about lockdown Larry so much. It's I'm worried about Trump. I'm worried about. I mean, I guess Pence isn't going to go anywhere. Did Trump learn his lesson? And I'm not I'm not seeing signs that he has. And you know, this is this is really what it is. He can go state state by state and campaign for the legislative sessions, demand action. He could be a voice for the people, drive issues rather than himself. Don't make it personal. There's a lot he can do, but I just, I don't see this happening, um, which is why you made a good choice back in the day never to shill for people and just do your own investigative journalism because this is the era we live in. Um, I want to go back to, to Ukraine for a minute. Um for a while, we saw crippling sanctions on Russia. And I don't mean like the government sanctions. I mean the entire private enterprise locked them out financially from everything. And I thought that would choke them off. And I was scared, not that I like Putin, but but I think a lot of us realized, holy smokes, that's what they're going to do to us. You know, this is the game. But is Russia really crushed? Like ha- what happened with that? Was that superficial or it just didn't work? Yeah, it, it just didn't work because um, there were not any, well, there were willing partners in Europe and in Canada, but outside of that space, and even some of Eastern Europe was contested, nobody really wanted to buy into the sanctions. I mean, Russia has willing trading partners in the enormous economies of China and India and in much of South America and in most of Asia. Um, you know, it's not just the U.S. adversaries, uh, Japan, Taiwan, you know, the, the, the idea that Russia was alienated w- was never true. Um, I, I think that 
the initial sanctions regime kind of shocked the system, and it made Moscow scramble, uh, change some contracts around. But now with the soaring prices of commodities, I think, unfortunately for humanity, this war has become a money-making enterprise. I mean, Russia, the time is very much on their side, even though you had all these pieces coming out early on in the war claiming otherwise. They really have no need to, to stop the engagement in Ukraine because they have, they have Europe basically on their knees begging for energy. I mean, Europe is, is in a total energy crisis. So I think the sanctions will continue to deteriorate further. Um, these countries need to make a decision to either keep the lights on because they rely so much uh, on their energy in, input from Russia or, or have like a, an actual dark winter or dark fall coming up. Um, I, I think that the sanctions will just continue to break down further. And, and um, if I were in charge of Ukraine, I would be looking to negotiate as soon as possible because they just have no real leverage. I, they're getting on social media and on TV, uh, begging for more and more money, for more and more yeah. military equipment. But it doesn't seem to... Um, be paying dividends because you have this very loose uh, logistics chain that's breaking down and and they don't have the 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 confidence or or the superior military output that Russia has right now and um, yeah. I think things are only going to get worse for Ukraine as this war drags on and, and I think a lot of people create a straw man that oh Russia was going to take and hold Kiev and the entire Ukraine which. Russia's not Putin's not stupid. He learned the mistakes of Afghanistan and the mistakes we made that you can't hold the non-Russian areas, ethnic Russian areas. They're always going to be against you. It's going to be tough to do that. But but in order for them to just surround them, control the seaport uh, seaports, the other strategic areas, the eastern areas constantly just squeeze them. That's very easy for them to do, and that they're doing very successfully. I think it is true that Russia is somewhat of a paper tiger in terms of their ability to march through all of Europe. That clearly we saw they probably cannot do that, but they wouldn't do that anyway. That was always a straw man. Um, so that's the good news. In other words, what we're worried about, they can't do. And what really we shouldn't be worried about, which is them holding the ethnically Russian areas, there's nothing you can do anyway. I mean, unless you would assemble a World War II-style alliance to kick them out, it's not going to happen. And then in perpetuity, it would be their border, so it's always gonna, they're always going to be focused on it. Uh, you'd have to be there forever. It's just, it is the dumbest thing. This is a really underappreciated point that I think that the press and our politicians are specifically not covering is this reality that the allegiances in eastern Ukraine um, if you look at just the demographics and the the ethnic makeup of the place, it's clear that their loyalties are definitely, uh, they're not so much committed to the cause of an independent Ukraine, which means that it's, it's very easy, as you discussed, for Russia to keep and hold territory there because the people really don't mind it so much. It's not as if Russia is going into Afghanistan again with a hostile um, people who are entirely uh, different. You know, the, their cultures are almost synonymous with each other in eastern Ukraine and western Russia. So, so the, the idea that they're going to face some kind of fierce opposition, 
uh, you know, if I were to project this thing out into the future, it, it, it seems clear to me that Russia is just going to hold this territory and whether or not it's internationally recognized, similar to the Crimea situation, Russia is just going it, to it's just going to be part of de facto in a de facto sense part of Russia. I want to end with a political view from you. You know, you've studied foreign affairs, other countries' political systems for a while. And what I find very disturbing is um, COVID fascism was the Super Bowl, right? Everything we ever could have dreamt of in a bad way, the nightmarish uh, premonitions we might have had that, oh, my gosh, what if these crazy communists would gain control? What would they do? This is the du jour issue of our time. Um, medical freedom and everything that comes with that, even the transhumanism, this is the issue. And what I'm finding is, even to the extent... So, first of all, every major opposition party in every Western democracy is bought into it, okay? So, you know, it's the Republicans, it's the conservatives in Canada and Australia, uh, Lee Kud in Israel, um, the Tories in Great Britain, right? You know, um, with Boris Johnson being thrown out, none of the contenders that I'm seeing are even mentioning Johnson's maniacal lockdown and everything. It's like not like they're promising to talk about the magic juice and 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 the amount of people it's likely killed with all these excess deaths and and the EMS services we just talked about in in uh, England are really strained and it started February 2021 by the way. Um Germany obviously the social democrats and the christian democrats same thing. But even in the p- places where you have like more of a populist third party and they might be kind of good on some issues, this issue they will not touch. Maybe some of them a little bit now, but nobody will touch the vaccines after a year and a half worth of information. Why? Why is that? Yeah, I I think that they they tethered early on their political futures and promises to these miracle cures (laughs) And it obviously hasn't been going so well. So it's, you know, these are all arsonists pretending to be firefighters. So they'd rather not discuss the reality that they burned down the house. You know, they're here to save the day. And they'd rather just move on. That's what it seems that, and the media is certainly not going to ask them about it because the media is also very pro mRNA religion. So it's just this, this, this reality that we're not, um, we're just, we're just not getting any transparency because there's, there's no way to do so. So they're just, I think that they, they just don't want to discuss this, this issue of historic failure that ended up endangering their, their entire population. No. And that's, that's my fear that nobody wants to just say, look, we, we, we had no problems with vaccines. We never envisioned this, but look what they did to us and get into it. And, and even the conservatives you find, they're like, yeah, let's just move on. COVID's over. COVID's not over. It, I mean, the fear might be over, and that's a good thing that, that people don't fear it. But the fact that they're continuing to make gain of function, continuing to release things, continuing with the mRNA agenda, continuing even with the mandates on the military and many others, um, the transhumanism agenda, that's continuing. That's being funded by government. It's the biggest issue of our time. It's the ultimate right to life, and there's no opposition. So, Jordan, I need you to keep on this. Keep your investigative journalist hat on, uh, medical industrial complex, military industrial complex. Keep on those two issues 
Again, the dossier Substack. Also, by the way, you have a twice weekly podcast at Substack. So, guys, make sure you check it out. Um, at Jordan Shacktail on Twitter. Uh, good luck staying there, Jordan. <laughs> I think your days are numbered, but you're always welcome here. All right. Thanks, Daniel. I very much appreciate it. Take care. So, again, that was Jordan Shacktail. He used to work with me, investigative journalist, and does great, great work. Uh, we're pretty much out of time, so I'm not going to get a chance to get to some of the other things in our stack today. We'll push it off till tomorrow. One important point he made about Jerome Adams. The guy's a flaming nut, and he was in the Trump administration, brought in by Mike Pence. The point is, there are people like Jerome Adams at the highest levels that are responsible for the portfolio of the most important policy issues in every Republican administration, both president and governor to this day. And this underscores the point that voting is is almost meaningless. What's more important than voting is every day in between the elections, we pressure them, expose the people, the personnel, the policies in your respective states, state legislatures. That you got to get engaged. The point is the days where you just come out to vote every two years, which I know conservatives love doing. That's all they care about. Um, and they think that this is where it's at. Those days are over. Those days are over. You're going to have to fight for it. I'm going to have to step up my game too. You know, I'm constantly going to think of new ideas, how to keep this going. Um, it's tough when we're kicked off of different things, but that means we're over the target. Uh, so again, I'm going to need you to really make sure you sign up for this show. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It's worth it because iTunes is really where it's at and they have not censored yet. It's not that we're not prepared for it. It's the final thing that they haven't censored. Uh, just know you could always go to The Blaze directly and and find me there. Um, the columns as well. Uh, check both The Blaze and Conservative Review. Generally, the COVID content is at Conservative Review. Other stuff's going to be at The Blaze. Uh, Daniel underscore Horowitz on Getter. Also, just keep in mind... Um, the conservative review Twitter handle, it's simply CR, is going to be used more. So you might want to watch that a little bit on Twitter. Um, several people might be using that Twitter handle. So uh, don't tell anyone, but that's uh, another thing you might want to find me. And of course, you could always email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.